Feel like you're in church? Yeah. Amen. And let's open our Bibles together to Joshua chapter 3 this morning. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 3. It's so, so good to be home. I still contend that there's no place like this place anywhere near this place. So this must be the place. And in my heart, um, it has been since 1976, and I'm thankful for what God does in this place week after week after week, and many of you sitting out there this morning are a living testimony to the fact that God's Word is alive. Praise the Lord. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, and I'm going to I don't normally do this, don't always do this. I don't read a long passage uh, normally on Sunday mornings, but I want to do it today. I want us to get the context of the story. We're in a series, obviously, named Forward, and that's our theme uh, for the year. We want to go forward, and we're going to challenge you to go forward, and we want our church to go forward. And really, that's the theme of the book of Joshua. It's about going forward. It's about claiming everything that God has for his people and not settling for anything less than God's best. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. And Joshua rose early in the morning and removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel, theologians, uh, would have us believe, and I, I have no reason to doubt this, that all of the children of Israel, when you do the math, and those who came out of Egypt, and, and so on and so forth, there were, were probably around two and a half million people at this point. So all of the children of Israel, and they lodged there, they lodged at the Jordan before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, this host of two and a half million people, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priest, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. A cubit is about 18 inches, so we're talking a space of about 3,000 feet, or 100 yards, or, 100, or 10 football fields. They were to keep that distance between them and the Ark of the Covenant. For ye have not passed this way before. And Joshua said, verse 5, he said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. 
And thou shalt command the priest that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. So Joshua is now going to rehearse to the people what God had just said to him. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God, and I'll just insert there, of the living word is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. A lot of ites. Now, let me just stop there. I mentioned this in my Bible study class this morning. We need to be careful about taking our theology from songs. So often in songs, we'll hear the, the crossing over Jordan uh, to be a reference of entering into heaven. But that's not the biblical concept of passing over into Jordan. Because we just read there were going to be enemies there, and there were going to be battles to fight there, and there are going to be trials to overcome there. And here's what I know about heaven. If I understand the Bible right, I'm not going to have any enemies in heaven. I'm not going to have any battles to fight in heaven. I'm not going to have any obstacles to overcome in heaven. So let's just be careful about taking our uh, theology from Psalms. Verse 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, as soon as their feet shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. Look at me. Does that sound familiar to something that's already happened in the life of the children of Israel? When Moses led them out of Egypt and held his staff over the Red Sea and the waters parted? Well, here's what you have to understand. That happened to a generation past. And all, they just heard about it. They just heard stories about it. And God's saying, listen, I know I was the God of the past, but I'm also the God of the present. I'm the God of this generation. And I want to show you in the same way that I showed your fathers and your grandfathers. Verse 14, and it came to pass when the apostle, or excuse me, when the apostle, wow, where'd that come from? When the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, And the priest bearing the ark of the covenant before the people. And as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priest that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks until all the time of harvest. That's very relevant to the message today. And when they did that, verse 16 the waters which come down from above stood and rose up upon an heap very far from the city of Adam that is beside Zaratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain 
Even the salt sea failed and were cut off. And look at this. And the people passed over right against Jordan. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. If you're with us a few weeks ago, I preached from chapter 2, and we learned there about Joshua sending out some spies to go into Jericho and find out what was there and how they were fortified and about their armies and all of that. And when those men returned, they said this at the end of Joshua chapter 2, Truly, the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. That was their report. And with that, Joshua and the children of Israel made the 10-mile trek from Shittim to the Jordan River, where they camped for three days. Now, before we go any farther, I want to back up a little bit this morning. About 440 years prior to what we've just read. I want to back up in our minds for a moment to life in Egypt. The children of Israel were taken captive. They spent 400 years living in bondage in Egypt. Metaphorically, Egypt represents life without Christ. Life in Egypt was oppressive and it was restrictive as they lived under the brutal dictatorship of Pharaoh. In much the same way, a life lived without Jesus Christ is one of hardship. It's one of bondage as the lost live in condemnation under the cruel taskmaster of sin. Now, if we were to take time to go back to the book of Exodus and, and read the, the amazing story we would find here that, that God rescued the children of Israel. He brought them out of their bondage. He set them free from that life, which is representative of our salvation in Christ. He then promised them a life in, 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 a, in a, a, a good and large land, one that he said was flowing with milk and honey, which is another way of saying that God had a life of blessing and abundance ready for his people if they were willing to step into it. By the same token, when we come to know Christ as our Savior, he sets us free from the former life of bondage to sin, to live life in the liberty and freedom of his grace. Sadly, though, like many of the Jews, when God saved them from Egypt, many Christians today fail to take full advantage of their newfound freedom. You study the history of Israel, you'll discover that the majority of those who were set free from bondage in Egypt, they never made it to the promised land. And they died in the wilderness. The wilderness 
is indicative of a life lived short of God's best. So are you tracking with me? We've got Egypt, which is metaphorically represents the life of a lost person, our life before Jesus Christ. On the other end of the spectrum, once we're saved, we're set free, and, and we're made free in Christ, and, and that's represented by Canaan. It's, it's where God wants us to live, where he wants us to, to, to have our being. It, it's a place where he wants to bless us with the best that he has. And in between Egypt and Canaan, there is this place called the wilderness. And unfortunately, it's where a great deal of God's people, perhaps even some here today, live their lives. They're out of Egypt, praise God for that. They're saved, they're set free from the bondage of sin and the curse of sin and all of that, and, and that's a hallelujah. But they're not in Canaan. They're not living life in the best possible place spiritually. They're not enjoying the, the best of God's blessings. In this, this wilderness area, they've settled for a spiritual life of mediocrity. And I'm convinced this morning that God has brought us together in this place on this day to be challenged yet again to go forward. Get out of the wilderness. Get to where God wants you to be spiritually. Step into a more blessed and rewarding life by His grace and for His glory. But like the children of Israel, here in Joshua chapter 3, there may be something that's standing between you and God's best. A Jordan River of sorts. Let me tell you a little bit about the Jordan. It flowed from north to south, stretched about 200 miles from Mount Hermon to the Dead Sea. Normally it was not a, a difficult river to cross. It was a a very non-threatening stream of water. It was very narrow. It was very shallow. But as we read in verse 15, and I, I pointed out a moment ago, at this time of year, the snows melting on Mount Hermon flowed down to the Jordan and caused it every time this year those waters caused the Jordan to overflow its banks. Whereas normally during the year, the Jordan River was, was about 100 feet across. They tell us now at this time of year that it has become almost a mile across with depths as deep as 12 feet and with a raging current. So standing between God's people and his best for them was a river of difficulty and seeming impossibility. How were they going to get across? How were, how were they going to get where God wanted them to be? And I'll answer that in just a moment. 
But first, I want to address some possible Jordans that may be standing between someone here this morning and God's best for them as a Christian. As I thought about this this week and contemplated the message this morning, I began to think about some some possible Jordans, if you will, things that are keeping some of God's people in the wilderness, in a life of mediocrity, and keeping them away from God's best for them. And this thought came to mind. For some, it may be misplaced priorities. Maybe you've just allowed life and the events of life to take over your schedule, and you're just not putting the things of God first. It seems like everything else clutters your calendar, and, 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 and if there's time for God, we'll pencil it in and we'll take that opportunity. And for some, that may be the Jordan. They say, Preacher, that's exactly where I am. We've just gotten so busy and, 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 and so, uh, so distracted that uh, you're right. God is, is just not in a prominent place in our, in our life, in our home, in our, in our family. For some, it may be a simple lack of discipline. Since the first Sunday of 2019, we have been urging you to develop a personal spiritual time with God. We've given you resources to make that happen. And maybe for some here this morning, you just haven't gotten in the groove. You just find yourself watching TV and not reading your Bible. You find yourself staying in bed late, not reading your Bible. You find yourself doing other things, but you're not reading your Bible. You're not praying. You're not exercising the spiritual disciplines that God wants you to. And I'm, listen, I'm going to say it again. I've said it many times since the beginning of the year. If that does not become an important part of your life, you can just count on living in the wilderness. Maybe it's some sinful habit. And you know it's wrong. And you know it's got you captive. And you know that it's something you've struggled with for a, a long time now. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Somebody has done something to you or said something to you and you've just not been able to find it within your heart to forgive them. Maybe, maybe it's bitterness. Maybe you're angry at God this morning. Maybe you're bitter at God this morning for something that's happened in your life. Let me tell you, that's not a place to live. That's a wilderness. Maybe you're bitter at somebody else. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's addiction. A drug addiction, a sexual addiction, a, an addiction of some kind to self-hurt. Maybe it's pride, jealousy, apathy. You just don't care. Well, preacher, this is all well and good, but I don't care. Maybe it's a critical negative spirit. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's doubt. I don't know. Are you with me today? I don't know what your personal Jordan is. I'm talking about that thing or those things that feel so permanent and so powerful in your life that you've not even made an effort to make it across. 
I'm talking about the, that thing that is holding you back, that, that makes you feel like your life is just stalled, you're, 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 you've just gotten stuck on the wrong side of God's promises. Whatever that thing is, is your Jordan today. And it's keeping you from enjoying God's best for your life. Listen, Jesus wants you to enjoy an abundant life. He said that in John chapter 10 and verse 10. He said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The word abundantly there meaning super abundant in quantity and superior in quality. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I want that kind of life. I want to be there. I want in on God's best. Well, here's where it begins. You want to move forward, you've got to decide that staying put is not an option. For Joshua and most of the children of Israel, the thought of staying on the wilderness uh, side of, of Jordan when they could be living in Canaan, just wasn't acceptable. They had seen what life in the wilderness had done to their, to their parents and their grandparents, and that was not something that they were willing to settle for. You say, well, well preacher, I, I don't know that I'm really getting this wilderness thing. I, I, I don't know if I'm in a, a wilderness or not. Well, let me, let me give you an idea this morning of, of, of what the wilderness is like. In the wilderness, God feels far away. It just seems like God is distant, that he's absent, that he's unresponsive. You know you're saved. You, you, you can go back to that time and place where you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, but here you are on, on, on February the 17th of 2019, and it's just like, where's God in my life? It just seems so distant, so absent, so unresponsive. In the wilderness, there's no joy there. There's no sense of fulfillment or accomplishments. It's a place where our spirit feels dry and barren. And if that describes your spiritual life this morning, then you're in the wilderness. And I'm telling you, the decision that you have to make this morning is whether or not that's where you want to live spiritually. Listen, I'm... I'm, I'm aware of the fact that it doesn't make any difference this morning how inviting and how appealing and, and, and how great it, 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 it is to live where God wants you to live. Because if you choose this place where you're not growing and you're not learning and you're not moving forward, if you say in your heart, well, this is just where I want to exist, then I'm, I'm honest enough with myself to know that it's not going to matter what I say this morning. If that's where you want to be, that's where you're going to be. You've got to come to the conclusion in your heart, I'm tired of being here. I'm tired of living a life where God seems distant and unresponsive and there's no joy and there's no happiness. And I see other Christians and they're enjoying life and they're enjoying family and they're enjoying work and they're just enjoying life. And I'm sick and tired of living a life where there's no joy. Then you have to decide. I'm tired of that. I don't want to be there anymore. And then... When you come to that conclusion, then you need to acknowledge 
your need of God's power and presence. The Ark of the Covenant is mentioned 17 times in this chapter and in chapter 4. 10 times in this chapter, 7 times in chapter 4. So that tells me that it's pretty significant. It's, it's a pretty important piece of furniture. Here's a picture of, of what it may have looked like. It was a, a rectangle-shaped box. It was gold-plated, those, those uh, staves on the side. Uh, the, the, the priest would put one up, one priest would put it on his shoulder, the other priest would put it on his shoulder, two more priests behind them, and that's how they would carry uh, what was called the Ark of the Covenant. It was covered by a, a gold-plated lid that's called the mercy seat. You see these two angelic beings. They've got their wings stretched over the mercy seat. Those are called cherubim. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was the uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, there was a, a bowl of manna, which is what God used to feed his children during their wilderness wanderings of 40 years. And then there's Aaron's rod that budded and you can read about that on your own in Numbers chapter 17. Now, here's what we don't read in chapter 3. And I'm, I'm speculating here now. But just knowing that the children of Israel were human, and knowing myself, then you know that, that there were, were probably more than a few of that 2 million plus group of people who were standing here and they were staring at this raging river. It's a mile across. They know it's deep. And they're wondering in their hearts, how can I ever get across that? What about my wife? What about our children? What about our livestock? That thing is huge. We're never, ever going to be able to get across there. I believe this is why God instructed the priests and the Levites to carry the ark out ahead of the people. He won, and, and he, he created such a distance, because if you can imagine it's two and a half million people, if everybody crowded up on it, they were going to cover it up. And so God said, I want you to keep this distance between you and the ark. And here's why I personally believe God wanted them to do that. It's because he wanted them to keep their eyes on the ark and get their eyes off the river. Listen, God's intent was for the Israelites to breach the Jordan with him. They were about to learn that no obstacle, listen to me today, no obstacle, no matter how formidable, no matter how opposing it may appear to be, is too great for our God. As I said earlier, I don't know what your Jordan is or how impossible it may seem to be in your mind right now. But church, listen to me today. Here's what I do know. I do know that without God, that with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. There's no sinful habit. No matter how long it's been a part of your life that cannot be broken by the power and the presence of God. 
There's no pattern of thinking that cannot be transformed by the power and the presence of God. There's no doubt or fear that cannot be overcome by the power and the presence of God. There's not a hurt that cannot be healed by the power and presence of God. There's no relationship that cannot be repaired by the power and presence of God. There's no addiction this morning that cannot be destroyed by the power and presence of God. What you need to do this morning is keep your eyes on God and off of the off of the problem and be focused on the power and the presence of God look at the end of verse 4 he said for ye have not passed this way here's a four the word way there is the the Hebrew word derek And it can mean either a course of life or a mode of action. Notice the wording of verse 3. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. You see, up to this point, these children of Israel had not traveled this way or this manner before. If you know anything about their history, you know that for 40 years going through the wilderness, that they knew how to move and where to go because by day there was a pillar of a cloud and by night there was a pillar of fire. And when this pillar of cloud or fire began to move, then they, they packed up and they began to move with it. That's how God led them through the wilderness. But now God's choosing to lead them in a new way, in a new manner. God's never done this before. They've always looked to the cloud. They've always looked to the pillar of fire. And now God's saying, no, no, I want you to look at me now. I want you to look at the Ark of the Covenant now. I believe there's a lesson in that for us this morning. Perhaps it's time to start living your life in a different way. Maybe it's time to change the manner in which you've been trying to cross your Jordan. And maybe it's time that you start doing it God's way. Here's the deal this morning. If you could cross your own personal Jordan your own way, you already would have. But you can't. Your way's not working. It didn't work yesterday, it didn't work a month ago, it hadn't worked for the last 10 years. You're still stuck in the wilderness, but you're determined to keep trying to do it your way. Listen to me this morning, your way is not as good as God's way. And God's here to tell you this morning, I've got a way. If you're willing to step into it, you're willing to live it, I've got a way to get you through that. It's my power and my presence in your life. And then there's this, verse 5, And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves. You've got to practice personal sanctification. And here's what I think is the point of Joshua's command here. It's simply this. If the children of Israel wanted to see God do what only he could do, then they were going to have to do what only they could do. 
And that's the message this morning. Listen, if you want to see God do a wonder in your life like only he can do, then listen to me, there are some things that you must do that only you can do. Here's how that may look. Let me just say this, the idea of, of sanctification, let me, let me give this explanation real quick. It has to do with cleanliness. It has to do with holiness. And in the Old Testament, we'll not get into all of this, but in the Old Testament, there are a number of things that, that people were required to do to sanctify themselves. They would have understood that. When Joshua said, sanctify yourself, they would have understood that. Uh, among those things, some of those things would be you have, to, you have to clean your clothes, wash your clothes. Husbands and wives were to abstain from sexual relations. They were uh, uh, to change their work schedule and on and on and on and on. They were to, they were to, to, to rid their lives of, of anything that was unclean and impure and that would interfere with God in their life. Now, here's the point. So, well, preacher, I want that. I want to get across this Jordan in my life. Well, listen to me, sir. You can't just sit there. And expect God to part the waters of the Jordan. Yeah, but I came to church and I listened to this message and that's all well and good. But you can't just go home and sit. There are some things that you have to do that only you can do. And I know this, that when you choose to do them, then God will do what you can't do. That won't happen. So you and I begin to to do some things. So here's how that might look. If your Jordan is misplaced, priorities, that's keeping you from experiencing God's best for your life, then you need to sit down and you need to make some deliberate changes to your schedule where you can to indicate to God, God, I'm serious about this thing. If you're unwilling to forgive someone for what they've done or what they've said and that's your Jordan, and that's keeping you out of experiencing God's best for your life, then you, you've got to find grace enough to forgive. If it's a spirit of bitterness toward God because of something that's happened in your life, then you've got to confess that, friend. You've got to confess that and ask God to forgive you. Your Jordan is a sinful habit of some kind. Then you need to sanctify yourself by taking measures, however extreme those measures may be, to rid your life of those things. To give you an idea of how radical some of those things may be, when Jesus was addressing this kind of issue, he said, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. If it's your computer that has you in its grasp and what you view on your computer, then do what you got to do. No, come on. I'm talking about you doing what only you can do before God's willing to do what he can do. And if it's a sinful habit, then you've got to make changes. And some of those changes may be radical. They may, be, may involve getting some people out of your life who are not good for you. And any number of things. You've got to be willing to change some things. Are we, are we together? And then here's the final thing. 
you act in faith. Fellowship Baptist Church, we understand this definition for faith. It's believing the Word of God and acting on it, no matter how you feel, because God promises a good result. Here's how that looked in the life of the children of Israel. Look at verse 12 again in chapter 3. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, every man of tribe, every tribe of man. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, uh, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from heaven or from above, and they shall stand upon the heat. So there's the word of God and, the prom- and what he promises. God said, here's my word, you do this, and here's, here's the result that I promise. And so look at verse 14. And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped into the brim. There's them acting on the word of God. God said, you do this. It's what I want you to do, and this is what I'll do. And so you can imagine these priests. This is a mile-wide river. It's 12 feet deep in some places. It's a raging current. And you have these priests, and they're bearing the ark, and they come to the edge of the river. It's acting on the word of God no matter how I feel. Preacher, I'm afraid. I'm afraid what might happen if I make that choice. I'm afraid what might happen if I make that change in my life. It's believing the Word of God and acting on it no matter how I feel. As those men came to the edge of that river, can you imagine those first two men as they stepped into the edge of that river? And the moment they did that, those waters. And I'm not telling you this morning that if you leave here and and you go doing what you know you can do to change your situation in your life. I'm not, listen, I'm not telling you it's going to change overnight. Because you didn't get there overnight. But I know by the word of God that it'll change. And regardless of what you're feeling in here, regardless of what the devil's whispering in your ear right now, don't listen. You believe the word of God and act on it. You acknowledge your, your need of God's power and presence. You need to decide today, preacher, I'm tired of living here. I'm done with this. You sanctify yourself and you act in faith. There are a number of incredible, I mean incredible stories of God parting the waters of Jordans in the lives of some people that are sitting among you this very day. Matter of fact, you can go and you can hear some of their stories on our website, fellowshipfamily.org. They're amazing stories. They're their own words, their own stories. I'm talking about Jordans of drug addiction, Jordans of sexual addiction, Jordans of abuse, Jordans of self-harm, Jordans of bitterness and rebellion. And they've all been overcome by people who decided that staying where they were was not an option anymore. I'm done. 
And they fell on their knees before God and said, God, I cannot do this on my own. God, I need your power. I need your presence. And Lord, whatever I need to do, whatever changes I need to make, I'm willing to make by faith. Because I believe you're the one that can part these waters. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. God, my way's not working. I need to do it your way. And Lord, that's what I want to do. Would you pray with me today?